section seven of curiosities of literature volume three this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. curiosities of literature volume three by isaac disraeli the philosophy of proverbs part three there are domestic proverbs which originate in incidents known only to the natives of their province italian literature is particularly rich in these stores the lively proverbial taste of that vivacious people was transferred to their own authors and when these allusions were obscured by time learned italians in their zeal for their national literature and in their national love of story-telling have written grave commentaries even on ludicrous but popular tales in which the proverbs are said to have originated they resemble the old facetious conte whose simplicity and humour still live in the pages of boccaccio and are not forgotten in those of the queen of navarre the italians apply a proverb to a person who while he is beaten takes the blows quietly per beato cel non furon pesca luckily they were not peaches and to threaten to give a man una pesca in un occhio a peach in the eye means to give him a thrashing this proverb it is said originated in the close of a certain droll adventure the community of the castle poggibonzi probably from some jocular tenure observed on st bernard's day pay a tribute of peaches to the court of tuscany which are usually shared among the ladies-in-waiting and the pages of the court it happened one season in a great scarcity of peaches that the good people of poggi bonzi finding them rather dear sent instead of the customary tribute a quantity of fine juicy figs which was so much disapproved of by the pages that as soon as they got hold of them they began in rage to empty the baskets on the heads of the ambassadors of the poggi bonzi who in attempting to fly as well as they could from the pulpy shower half blinded and recollecting that peaches would have had stones in them cried out per beato cel non furon pesca luckily they were not peaches fare le scale di sant ambrogio to mount the stairs of st ambrose a proverb allusive to the business of the school of scandal varchi explains it by a circumstance so common in provincial cities on summer evenings for fresh air and gossip the loungers met on the steps and landing-places of the church of st ambrose whoever left the party they read in his book as our commentator expresses it and not a leaf was passed over all liked to join a party so well informed of one another's concerns and every one tried to be the very last to quit it not to leave his character behind it became a proverbial phrase with those who left a company and were too tender of their backs to request they would not mount the stairs of st ambrose johnson has well described such a company you are so truly feared but not beloved one of another as no one dares break company from the rest lest they should fall upon him absent 
there are legends and histories which belong to proverbs and some of the most ancient refer to incidents which have not always been commemorated two greek proverbs have accidentally been explained by pausanias he is a man of tenedos to describe a person of unquestionable veracity and to cut with the tenedian axe to express an absolute and irrevocable refusal the first originated in a king of tenedos who decreed that there should always stand behind the judge a man holding an axe ready to execute justice on any one convicted of falsehood the other arose from the same king whose father having reached his island to supplicate the son's forgiveness for the injury inflicted on him by the arts of a stepmother was preparing to land already the ship was fastened by its cable to a rock when the sun came down and sternly cutting the cable with an axe sent the ship adrift to the mercy of the waves hence to cut with the tenedian axe became proverbial to express an absolute refusal business to-morrow is another greek proverb applied to a person ruined by his own neglect the fate of an eminent person perpetuated the expression which he casually employed on the occasion one of the theban polemarchs in the midst of a convivial party received dispatches relating to a conspiracy flushed with wine although pressed by the courier to open them immediately he smiled and in gaiety laying the letter under the pillow of his couch observed business to-morrow plutarch records that he fell a victim to the twenty-four hours he had lost and became the author of a proverb which was still circulated among the greeks the philosophical antiquary may often discover how many a proverb commemorates an event which has escaped from the more solemn monuments of history and is often the solitary authority of its existence a national event in spanish history is preserved by a proverb e vengar quinentio sueldus and revenge five hundred pounds an odd expression to denote a person being a gentleman but the proverb is historical the spaniards of old castile were compelled to pay an annual tribute of five hundred maidens to their masters the moors after several battles the spaniards succeeded in compromising the shameful tribute by as many pieces of coin at length the day arrived when they entirely emancipated themselves from this odious imposition the heroic action was performed by men of distinction and the event perpetuated in the recollections of the spaniards by this singular expression which alludes to the dishonourable tribute was applied to characterise all men of high honour and devoted lovers of their country pasquier in his la france reviewing the periodical changes of ancient families in feudal times observes that a proverb among the common people conveys the result of all his inquiries for those noble houses which in a single age declined from nobility and wealth to poverty and meanness gave rise to the proverb sans en bannière et sans en civière one hundred years a banner and one hundred years a barrow the italian proverb con l'evangelio si diventa 
heretico with the gospel we become heretics reflects the policy of the court of rome and must be dated at the time of the reformation when a translation of the scriptures into the vulgar tongue encountered such an invincible opposition the scotch proverb he that invented the maiden first hanselled it that is got the first of it the maiden is that well-known beheading engine revived by the french surgeon guillotine this proverb may be applied to one who falls a victim to his own ingenuity the artificer of his own destruction the inventor was james earl of morton who for some years governed scotland and afterwards it is said very unjustly suffered by his own invention it is a striking coincidence that the same fate was shared by the french reviver both alike sad examples of disturbed times among our own proverbs a remarkable incident has been commemorated hand over head as the men took the covenant this preserves the manner in which the scotch covenant so famous in our history was violently taken by above sixty thousand persons about edinburgh in sixteen thirty eight a circumstance at that time novel in our own revolutionary history and afterwards paralleled by the french in voting by acclamation an ancient english proverb preserves a curious fact concerning our coinage testers are gone to oxford to study at rosinose when henry the eighth debased the silver coin called testers from their having a head stamped on one side the brass breaking out in red pimples on their silver faces provoked the ill-humour of the people to vent itself in this punning proverb which has preserved for historical antiquary the popular feeling which lasted about fifty years till elizabeth reformed the state of the coinage a northern proverb among us has preserved the remarkable idea which seems to have once been prevalent that the metropolis of england was to be the city of york lincoln was london is york shall be whether at the time of the union of the crowns under james i when england and scotland became great britain this city from its centrical situation was considered as the best adapted for the seat of government or for some other cause which i have not discovered this notion must have been prevalent to have entered into a proverb the chief magistrate of york is the only provincial one who is allowed the title of lord mayor a circumstance which seems connected with this proverb the italian history of its own small principalities whose well-being so much depended on their prudence and sagacity affords many instances of the timely use of a proverb many an intricate negotiation has been contracted through a good-humoured proverb many a sarcastic one has silenced an adversary and sometimes they have been applied on more solemn and even tragical occasions when rinaldo degli abizzi was banished by the vigorous conduct of cosmo de medici machiavel tells us the expelled man sent cosmo a menace in a proverb la gallina cavava the hen is brooding said of one meditating vengeance the undaunted cosmo replied by another that there was no brooding out of the nest 
i give an example of peculiar interest for it is perpetuated by dante and is connected with the character of milton when the families of the amadai and the uberti felt their honour wounded in the affront the younger buondelmonte had put upon them in breaking off his match with a young lady of their family by marrying another a council was held and the death of the young cavalier was proposed as the sole atonement for their injured honour but the consequences which they anticipated and which afterwards proved so fatal to the florentines long suspended their decision at length mosca lamberti suddenly rising exclaimed in two proverbs that those who considered everything would never conclude on anything closing with an ancient proverbial saying cosa fata capo ha a deed done has an end the proverb sealed the fatal determination and was long held in mournful remembrance by the tuscans for according to villani it was the cause and beginning of the accursed factions of the guelphs and the ghibellines dante has thus immortalized the energetic expression in a scene of the inferno adun chavea luna el alatra man mazza levando e manchera Perlara fasca si chai langue fascia la faccia sozza guido ricorderati ancha del masca che dissi lasso capo ha cosa fatta che ful mal seme della gente tasca then one maimed of each hand uplifted in the gloom the bleeding stumps that they with gory spots sullied his face and cried remember thee of mosca too i who alas exclaimed the deed once done there is an end that proved a seed of sorrow to the tuscan race carries dante this italian proverb was adopted by milton for when deeply engaged in writing the defence of the people and warned that it might terminate in his blindness he resolvedly concluded his work exclaiming with great magnanimity although the fatal prognostication had been accomplished cosa fata capo ha did this proverb also influence his awful decision on that great national event when the most honest minded fluctuated between doubts and fears of a person treacherously used the italian proverb says that he has eaten of la frutta di fratra alberigo the fruit of brother alberigo landino on the following passage of dante preserves the tragic story io son fratre alberigo io son quel dalla frutta del mal orto che qui reprendo etc canto thirty three the friar alberigo answered he am i who from the evil garden plucked its fruitage and am here repaid the date more luscious for my fig carries dante this was manfred the lord of fuenza who after many cruelties turned friar reconciling himself to those whom he had so often opposed to celebrate the renewal of their friendship he invited them to a magnificent entertainment at the end of the dinner the horn blew to announce the dessert but it was the signal of this dissimulating conspirator and the fruits which that day were served to his guests were armed men who rushing in immolated their victims 
among these historical proverbs none are more entertaining than those which perpetuate national events connected with those of another people when a frenchman would let us understand that he has settled with his creditors the proverb is j'ai payé tous mes anglois i have paid all my english this proverb originated when john the french king was taken prisoner by our black prince levies of money were made for the king's ransom and for many french lords and the french people have thus perpetuated the military glory of our nation and their own idea of it by making the english and their creditors synonymous terms another relates to the same event le pape est devenu francois et jésus-christ anglais now the pope is become french and jesus christ english a proverb which arose when the pope exiled from rome held his court at avignon in france and the english prospered so well that they possessed more than half the kingdom the spanish proverb concerning england is well known con todo el mando guerra y paz con inglaterra war with the world and peace with england whether this proverb was one of the results of their memorable armada and was only coined after their conviction of the splendid folly which they had committed i cannot ascertain england must always have been a desirable ally to spain against her potent rival and neighbour the italians have a proverb which formerly at least was strongly indicative of the travelled englishman in their country inglese italianato e un diavolo incarnato the italianized englishman is a devil incarnate formerly there existed a closer intercourse between our country and italy than with france before and during the reigns of elizabeth and james i that land of the elegant arts modelled our taste and manners and more italians travelled into england and were more constant residents from commercial concerns than afterwards when france assumed a higher rank in europe by her political superiority this cause will sufficiently account for the number of italian proverbs relating to england which show an intimacy with our manners that could not else have occurred it was probably some sarcastic italian and perhaps horologer who to describe the disagreement of persons proverbed our nation they agree like the clocks of london we were once better famed for merry christmases and their pies and it must have been the italians who had been domiciliated with us who gave currency to the proverb ha pio da fere che i forni di natale in inghilterra he has more business than english ovens at christmas our pie-loving gentry were notorious and shakespeare's folio was usually laid open in the great halls of our nobility to entertain their attendants who devoured at once shakespeare and their pasty some of those volumes have come down to us not only with the stains but enclosing even the identical pie-crusts of the elizabethan age 
i have thus attempted to develop the art of reading proverbs but have done little more than indicate the theory and must leave the skilful student to the delicacy of the practice i am anxious to rescue from prevailing prejudices these neglected stores of curious amusement and of deep insight into the ways of man and to point out the bold and concealed truths which are scattered in these collections there seems to be no occurrence in human affairs to which some proverb may not be applied all knowledge was long aphoristical and traditional pithily contracting the discoveries which were to be instantly comprehended and easily retained whatever be the revolutionary state of man similar principles and like occurrences are returning on us and antiquity whenever it is justly applicable to our times loses its denomination and becomes the truth of our own age a proverb will often cut the knot which others in vain are attempting to untie johnson palled with the redundant elegancies of modern composition once said i fancy mankind may come in time to write all aphoristically except in narrative grow weary of preparation and connection and illustration and all those arts by which a big book is made many a volume indeed has often been written to demonstrate what a lover of proverbs could show had long been ascertained by a single one in his favourite collections an insurmountable difficulty which every periographer has encountered is that of forming an apt a ready and a systematic classification the moral linnaeus of such a systema naturae has not yet appeared each discovered his predecessor's mode imperfect but each was doomed to meet the same fate footnote since the appearance of the present article several collections of proverbs have been attempted a little unpretending volume entitled select proverbs of all nations with notes and comments by thomas fielding eighteen twenty four is not ill arranged an excellent book for popular reading the editor of a recent miscellaneous compilation the treasury of knowledge has whimsically bordered the four sides of the pages of a dictionary with as many proverbs the plan was ingenious but the proverbs are not triteness and triviality are fatal to a proverb End of footnote. the arrangement of proverbs has baffled the ingenuity of every one of their collectors our ray after long premeditation has chosen a system with the appearance of an alphabetical order but as it turns out his system is no system and his alphabet is no alphabet after ten years labour the good man could only arrange his proverbs by commonplaces by complete sentences by phrases or forms of speech by proverbial similes and so on all these are pursued in alphabetical order by the first letter of the most material word or if there be more words equally material by that which usually stands foremost the most patient examiner will usually find that he wants the sagacity of the collector to discover that word which is the most material or the words equally material we have to search through all that multiplicity of divisions or conjuring boxes in which this juggler of proverbs pretends to hide the ball footnote 
a new edition of ray's book with large additions was published by bonn in eighteen fifty five under the title of a handbook of proverbs it is a vast collection of wise saws of all ages and countries End of footnote a still more formidable objection against a collection of proverbs for the impatient reader is their unreadableness taking in succession a multitude of insulated proverbs their slippery nature resists all hope of retaining one in a hundred the study of proverbs must be a frequent recurrence to a gradual collection of favourite ones which we ourselves must form the experience of life will throw a perpetual freshness over these short and simple texts every day may furnish a new commentary and we may grow old and find novelty in proverbs by their perpetual application there are perhaps about twenty thousand proverbs among the nations of europe many of these have spread in their common intercourse many are borrowed from the ancients chiefly the greeks who themselves largely took them from the eastern nations our own proverbs are too often deficient in that elegance and ingenuity which are often found in the spanish and the italian proverbs frequently enliven conversation or enter into the business of life in those countries without any feeling of vulgarity being associated with them they are too numerous too witty and too wise to cease to please by their poignancy and their aptitude i have heard them fall from the lips of men of letters and of statesmen when recently the disorderly state of the manufacturers of manchester menaced an insurrection a profound italian politician observed to me that it was not of a nature to alarm a great nation for that the remedy was at hand in the proverb of the lazzaroni of naples meta consiglio meta sepio, meta denaro half advice half example half money the result confirmed the truth of the proverb which had it been known at the time might have quieted the honest fears of a great part of the nation proverbs have ceased to be studied or employed in conversation since the time we have derived our knowledge from books but in a philosophical age they appear to offer infinite subjects for speculative curiosity originating in various eras these memorials of manners of events and of modes of thinking for historical as well as for moral purposes still retain a strong hold on our attention the collected knowledge of successive ages and of different people must always enter into some part of our own truth and nature can never be obsolete proverbs embrace the wide sphere of human existence they take all the colours of life they are often exquisite strokes of genius they delight by their airy sarcasm or their caustic satire the luxuriance of their humour the playfulness of their turn and even by the elegance of their imagery and the tenderness of their sentiment they give a deep insight into domestic life and open for us the heart of man in all the various states which he may occupy a frequent review of proverbs should enter into our readings and although they are no longer the ornaments of conversation they have not ceased to be the treasuries of thought End of section seven.